Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. And we're going to look back at 17. We'll actually start reading there, reading over something quickly, more to set the context than actually expound on that section. But I think if you see the context there, it will help you to maybe... Uh, understand or get a feel for the parables that we're going to look at in chapter 18. And as we look at the parables in chapter 18, I want to tell you now that I want us to see in each of these the need for humility in one way or another. And we talked a little bit about that in Sunday school this morning, about courage comes with humility because we have to be humble and recognize that we can't do things on our own, really. We need God's help. But I want us to see humility in the parables of chapter 18 and on into a little story in 19 as well. But let's start by looking at the context in chapter 17. And you'll notice here it says that uh, in, in verse 20, and we'll start reading at verse 20, and it says, excuse me, when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said. Now it's interesting, the Pharisees were saying, okay, you talk about the kingdom, when's it going to come? And this is how he replied to them, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation or visibly, he was telling them, neither shall they say lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you, and probably uh, that could also be interpreted there among you, especially considering who he was talking to. I don't know that the kingdom was within them, but basically he was trying to show something about the kingdom of God. And then in verse 22 he says, and he said unto the disciples. So I don't know if he kind of pulled the disciples aside or if he turned and was talking to the Pharisees and he turns and he focuses now on his disciples uh, particularly and tells them more about the the coming kingdom or the kingdom there. And so we're just going to read verses 22 on down through 37. It says, And he said unto the disciples, The days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days, son of man, and you shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here or see there, go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteth out of the one part under heaven, shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things, and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They shall eat, they drink, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. 
I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed, and the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding together, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles or the vultures be gathered together. Quite a day. And then he goes into this parable, having told them that, and he says, And he spake a parable unto them, to his disciples again, to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. You know, we hear that verse sometimes, men ought always to pray and not to faint. But he's telling them, look, this is what's coming someday. This is what's going to happen. This is what the world's going to look like. So men ought always to be praying so that they don't faint when these things happen, when we start seeing these things come about. And then he goes on and talks about that. He says, saying, there was in a city, a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man or didn't respect man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said unto, within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Then this, uh, this phrase here almost seems awkward in this place. Jesus went on to say, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Well, the one thing I want to point out with regard to humility in this passage is that when we pray and we come to God and we continually come to him, that takes humility to recognize that we don't have everything we need. Uh, prayer definitely takes humility uh, for what lies ahead. And in this particular uh, parable, it says that we are to pray and, and that we don't faint, we don't give up, we continually come to the Lord. And it makes these comparisons in this particular parable almost awkward comparisons in the fact that it uses this unjust judge, this ungodly man who doesn't respect God, he doesn't respect people. And it, it says, so this widow, someone who is helpless, who needs help, continually comes to this judge and asks for help. And the judge says no. But I think he uses that comparison to so contrast our God, who is not an unjust judge. He does respect people. He cares about people. And so we come to him and we continue to come to him and, and ask for. And in, in this particular parable, it says that, um, she would, uh, that he would avenge her. And so looking at that and looking at what that word means, it is not saying that she was asking for retaliation. The word there, avenge, actually has more to do with justice and protection. If you look at that word and what it can mean, it was almost the idea, and I think it's maybe the Williams translation, it basically says 
that the judge would protect her and give her justice from her adversary. Someone may have been taking advantage of her, whatever it was. And so Jesus says in this parable then that God will bring justice for his people. God will protect them. God will take care of them. It's not as though we go to him and say, okay, so-and-so wronged me. Now, God, I want you to go and take revenge on that person. Uh, The whole idea that the scripture says that vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Sometimes people sit back and and say, well, you know, I can forgive somebody because God, Bible says God's going to take vengeance on them, so I don't have to. No, that's not, that's not our attitude. A true attitude of forgiveness would be, God, you don't have to take vengeance on that person on my part. That's humility. You don't have to take vengeance. If for some way that helps that person, then that's up to you, God. But this woman was coming and looking for justice and for protection and what all that included. I don't know. This parable doesn't really flesh that all out. But it does bring out the fact that she came continually in humility asking for help. And God, as it would be for us, granted that. And he, he, he gives that. And it says that God will also do that for us speedily. And we say, wait a minute, where's the promise of his coming? We thought he's supposed to have come for a long time. But God does bring justice and protection to his people. And then it says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Well, if you connect that back to what he just shared back there in chapter 17 about what it's going to be like at the end, and the fact that men ought to pray continually so that we faint not, I think he's bringing out the point here that if we are not in prayer, and if we are not humble, and we trust God for our protection and for our justice, rather than trying to seek it on our own or trying to take care of our own needs and so forth, when he comes, will there be faith? And it's somewhat of a rhetorical question, I believe, in the sense that he's trying to make a point. That if we are not in prayer, if we do not come to him for our needs, if that's not where the saints are at, when the end comes, there won't be any faith. Now, the Bible does tell us that there are faithful. There will be those. We know that. But I think he's pointing out a fact that if we want to be part of those who have faith when he returns, then we need to trust in him and be in prayer for our needs. So, In this passage, I believe that we see uh, humility on the fact that we go to God and we trust him for our needs and not ourselves. That doesn't mean we don't, you know, as the old saying goes, you know, you put uh, your prayers to action. We do what we can, but we still trust in the Lord uh, for our justice and our protection. And by justice, I mean that we are just before him. Going then into the next parable there. Uh, It says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Now that's interesting. It looks as though he, he changed who he was talking to here. There were some people that trusted in themselves. They were righteous. And they thought they had it all together. And what was even worse or compiled, the problem was they they despised other people. 
They were fine. They were righteous, and there were people that they despised. So he told them this parable. It says, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican or a tax collector. And we're going to see another publican later. And so publicans were just kind of a, I guess, a little bit of a lower class people often, but then sometimes the ones higher up on the totem pole of the publicans, and that's what Zacchaeus is over there in chapter 19. He's a chief of them. But they would, through extortion and and by just taking advantage of people because they could, they became wealthy, many of them. But they were just looked down on, despite, especially by the Jews, because many of these were Roman tax collectors, and they would take advantage of them, and their own people as well. The Romans didn't like tax collectors either. The commoners didn't. But then sometimes you find that there were Jews that became tax collectors to to make, I guess, money, or maybe they couldn't get a job somewhere else. Uh, Maybe, um, you know, as it is here, sometimes counties have a slow down in their economy and people start looking for work. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the olive crop was bad sometimes and so they got into tax collecting and lo and behold, they made more money doing that. So they stayed there and they became corrupt because it was a little bit different system than what we have. And so these two men went up to pray. The one was a Pharisee and the other worked for the IRS. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Now, that's an interesting phrase right there. He prayed with himself. And so I try to determine exactly what that means. And it looks like either he stood off by himself or in a self-righteous manner, he prayed. And he said, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers or even as this publican. So his first approach in his prayer was not so much his own needs or his own, what he needed from God or his own sins or faults or whatever. His very first thing of his prayer was, I'm thankful I'm not like these other people. And if if that's the way you, and I hope none of you do, if that's the way you go to God, thanking him that you're not like your neighbor and you're not like this, you're not like this. Now, there's nothing wrong with thanking God that he has saved you and that you then being thankful for a life that you're living in him and then maybe being concerned and praying for those who are heathen. Of course we pray for them. But to try to do it like he did. And then not only does he... Uh, thank God that he's not like them. He goes on to say what all he does. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. So he reminded God, as if God didn't know, he reminded God of what he does. He, he tithes. And, and if you read some of the places where it talks about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, they would tithe of their mint in their little uh, their spices and so forth. So I suppose they would, uh, you know, if they were picking berries, they'd count out nine and put them in one bucket and one in another. That one's for God. And they'd do it with all their stuff. They made sure they were meticulous about that. And he's reminding God, 
that he's fasting twice a week and he gives a tenth of everything that he has. Humility or pride in this man? Well, and the publican standing afar off. He was, and it says afar off, probably stayed away from the others. He, he, he said he would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. That's all it said that he prayed. That was it. Now I do, I do want to caution us. There can be this tendency for Christians to almost disregard the fact that we have been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ and placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And justified means being seen as righteous in God's eyes. We can almost go to the other extreme where we're, where we just refer ourselves, oh, I'm just a sinner. I sin. Oh, I just, I, yeah, I'm just a sinner. Say, but I'm just a sinner. I'm just, and, and the Bible says you're a saint. Now, you got to be careful how you use that, but the Bible does call justified Christians saints. That means they are set apart, made holy, but it's not because of our own righteousness. It is because of the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. We are justified by his blood and we are also justified by his resurrection and we are made right in God's eyes. And so there is the flip side to where we can pretend to be so humble and sometimes when I hear people talking so much that way, I begin to wonder what's the motive behind it are they actually living in sin and they know it and they ought to repent? Or is it almost a prideful thing? It kind of flips away from the thing of humility. But on the other hand, notice that the publican saw himself in the light of God's holiness and not comparing himself with others. And that's what I want us to see in this, in this parable. Because verse 14 says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified or as seen as by God as more righteous or righteous rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And I think that humility sees ourselves in the light of God's holiness. You see, the first man went up there to pray and he said, I thank God that I'm not like these people. Who was he comparing himself to? God's holiness or other people's sinfulness? Well, we can always make ourselves feel like we're godly if we pick out bad enough sinners. Sure, you might even do it in the church. You might say, well, I'm glad I'm not like I'm living better lives than they are. I wonder why they're a Sunday school teacher and I'm not. I know I'm more righteous than they are. You, we can have those feelings. This man compared himself to sinners and of course he felt good. Yeah, you can do that. Just read the news every day. You'll feel a lot more righteous after you do. 
But the fact is, if you read the word of God and look at God's holiness, compare yourself to that, then is when you will be like the publican where you look at so much, hardly even want to look up and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So humility sees ourselves in the light of God's holiness, not in the light of others and where they may be in their walk of life and what they might be doing. Then we go on to the next one, starting at verse 15. It says, And they brought him, they brought unto him also infants, that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter in. Humility sees others like children see others. And I realize as children get older, they start not always being so kind and not always being so nice and they need correction and all of this. But over and over the scripture teaches that the kingdom of heaven is like unto little children. You'll see that when it speaks about forgiveness. You see it here when it talks about the kingdom. There's something about children that exemplify what the kingdom of heaven really looks like. I think it's we can list a number of things, everything from maybe a simple just honesty, a simple um, just willingness to forgive a lot easier than adults do, uh, just uh, looking at others and maybe, oh, yeah, I'm not saying they're not scared of some people, but you know what I mean. They, they, they see people differently than we as adults. They're probably not picking out all the, the faults like maybe we do. And so humility, I believe, sees others the way a child does and forgives the way a child does. The next parable here um, says, and a certain ruler, well, this isn't actually a parable, I don't believe, I think this guy comes up there, and he says, certain ruler asked him, saying, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, that is God. Now, Jesus is not saying here that he's not God, He's just saying, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God, pointing that out. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not steal, uh, or do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. And I have no reason, really, to doubt that he had. He had probably kept these. The Apostle Paul said, uh, when he was given, you know, his uh, criteria for being a good Jewish person, he listed all the things that I, I did all those things. But then Jesus says to him, uh, now when Jesus heard these things, in verse 22, he said unto him, yet thou lackest one thing, sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? 
And he said, Things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake who shall not receive manifold or many more times in this present time and in the world to come life everlasting. Well, this man came. He wanted to know about eternal life. And uh, Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. Oh, I've done all that. And he says, well, there's something that you're lacking. You see, God knows what part of us we're not willing to give up. He knows. And then he puts his finger on that and finds out if we're willing to give it up. And sometimes it's maybe something that he points us to and uh, we finally give in and then we're good to go, right? No, he finds something else. And he puts his thumb on that if we're willing to listen. And when we get that shape, why, something else. It's called sanctification, a lifelong sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. God works on it. Well, this man was wealthy. And apparently, that's what he trusted in, more than wanting to follow Jesus. And so humility sees the needs of others and gives, if that's what God is asking us to do. God asked him to give everything. And I, I, I just wonder this morning, how many of us here, if God said sell and give everything you've got away, that's what it's going to take to follow me. How many of us would say, sure, Lord, or... Would we go away sorrowful because we've got too much to give? There are countries and there are cultures where you could say, hey, you really want to follow Jesus, you've got to get rid of everything you got. Oh, well, that won't take long. Hey, neighbor, you want my little hut and a few things I got in it? Let's go. Now, they may have other things that hinder them from following. Everyone does. We all have our things that we need to give up. But I'm not so concerned this morning that we all are, you know, going to sell everything that we have and walk away from it. But the fact was, this man was probably proud of what he had. He was not willing to humble himself and actually follow Jesus at all cost. Humility follows Jesus at all cost, no matter what it might be. Now, these parables and thinking about humility maybe even mean a little bit more than when we get to verse 31. As he's giving these parables, and then this rich young ruler asks him this question, and we see what happens. And, you know, Peter says, we've left all to follow thee. Yep, we've given it all up. We're willing to follow. Verse 31 says, Then he took unto him the twelve, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the hands, or he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spit it on, and they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and on the third day shall rise again. 
And it says they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. And it came to pass that as he was come nigh to Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the way, side begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood, or he stopped there, stood there and commanded to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him. Now, just kind of going over some of the verses we looked at here. So the Peter said, We're, we, we've given up everything to follow you. And he's shared these parables and he's showing them that this is what it takes to follow Jesus. This is what it takes to be humble. You need to be praying without, pray, pray, pray. Don't, or else you faint. Give up. And he tells them, now we're going to go to Jerusalem and this is what's going to happen. And they didn't comprehend it. They couldn't understand it. And they didn't even really understand it after it happened until Jesus came back and started showing himself to them and explaining things. <clears throat> but it's interesting, just before this, Peter had said, yeah, we've left all to follow you. And then Jesus says, well, this is where we're headed. And then they start on their journey. And on their way there, when Jesus knows what's going to be happening, is this guy there, it's a certain blind man, and he's begging, and he hears all this commotion coming down the street, and he said, what is going on? He can't see it. He wonders what's going on. And they tell him, well, somehow this man had heard <clears throat> that there's a man by the name of Jesus, that is from Nazareth, that heals people. And he starts hollering out. He wants to be healed. Who wouldn't? He thought maybe this is his chance to finally see. And people, now, Again, I, I don't quite understand his apostles and his disciples that followed him all these years and saw the heart of Jesus. But then I look at myself and I say, well, I claim to be a follower of Jesus and, and I should know the heart of Jesus. Would I do this? But they basically tell the guy, just shut up and sit down. Just let us go on our journey here. Jesus has healed so many blind people, done all this, and they're like, no, get, quit, 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 quit your hollering. You're disrupting things. Well, he didn't. He kept right on hollering. He made sure that Jesus heard him, and he did. And then Jesus, when he comes to, uh, there, Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he was come, he asked him, saying, now, this is interesting. I've always found this intriguing. What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? There's a blind guy that's hollering for him to stop. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, I don't know. I've been blind. I've heard you're a good man. I just wanted to shake your hand. Have a nice trip to Jerusalem. No. He asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, receive thy sight. Thy faith has saved thee. 
Just, it was that simple, really. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. Interesting. The praise went to God. Of course it did. Humility sometimes being, is, is being willing to tell God what you need in your life, even though he already knows it. Do you think that Jesus didn't know that this guy is blind? Of course Jesus knew he was blind. Of course Jesus knew why he was hollering for him to stop. Of course Jesus knew what he wanted. But he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And sometimes I think we get this idea that, well, God knows what I need. He should just give it to me. You know, wake up in the morning. Oh, God, I hope it's a good day. Give me what I need for the day. And off we go. And then we get into situations where we're like, I really need something here. And, and are we willing to go to God and say, God, specifically, here is what I need for today? And sometimes, and I know for myself, maybe I'm humble enough to do that to God. But I'm not humble enough, as the scripture says, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed or share with others your needs. I might be able to tell God, yes, this is what I need specifically. And then someone, a brother comes up to you in a church or a sister, whatever, and Anything I can pray for you? No, I'm pretty good. I think, oh, well, just pray that I have a good week. And down deep, there's something that's just tearing you up. And you're, I believe humility is being willing to share with God and others what we really are needing at the time. This man needed his sight. More than anything else, that's what he wanted. And when Jesus asked him, he told him, and he says, well, your faith has made you whole. Now you can see. And who got the glory for it? God did. Humility also means that we give God the glory for the things that happen in our life. We praise God for it. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans or the tax collectors. And he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press. And it's not talking about the press like we see the press today. It wasn't CNN there that was in the way, although they might have been, I don't know. But he couldn't see because of all the people, that the crowd that was there, because he was little of stature. He may have been wealthy. He may have been powerful of being a chief tax collector, but he was short and he couldn't see. And so um, he decides, well, i got to do something. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. 
And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And you can go to Exodus and see that he must have understood the law there. That was the way the law read. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham, where the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. So this man was powerful. He was rich. He had a lot of things going for him. But there was something about this tax collector that he recognized that he needed something else. And he couldn't see. And so he goes and he climbs up in this tree. Now, that alone to me says there was a level of humility in this man because being wealthy and of a powerful position, at least within his group of people, to go and climb up in a tree admitting that I can't see, I'm too short, I'm going to try, I'm going to get a view somehow. And he goes and he climbs up in this tree and Jesus comes along and it's a little bit different than for the blind man. He didn't even ask him what he wanted or anything. This time he just simply says, Come down out of there. I'm coming to your house. And it says he made haste. He got down out of that tree quickly. And off they went to his house. Now again, this kind of takes us back to that story of the Pharisees and the the tax collectors in their prayer. The people that were watching didn't say, wow, look at Jesus. He even cares about people like that. He's willing to go and sit down with a sinner, this old tax collector, that little short guy that thinks he's so rich. He's willing to go and sit in his house and eat with him. Maybe he'll get saved. No, they didn't see it that way. They said, what in the world is this guy doing? Going and eating with somebody like that. Now, sometimes, and I think there's even a song or something that talks about Jesus, uh, friend of sinners. The Bible actually never says that. You say, wait a minute. No, 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 the Bible says, no, that was an accusation thrown at him. He was not buddy-buddy with sinners. He cared about them. He was not afraid to go into their home and eat with them. But they were not the people that he spent his hours with but he cared about them and was not afraid to go and to their house because he knew that they needed him and were willing to accept him often even more than the Pharisees were. And so when he did this, and it says that Zacchaeus stood, I don't know if he was so short that he wanted to stand up to make sure Jesus knew exactly who he was talking and what he was saying. And he says, look, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give... Half of what I've got. He says, I'm going to give this to the poor. And um, then he said, if I've taken anything that I shouldn't have, I'm going to restore it fourfold. I don't know. I don't, and the scripture doesn't say. Did he have to give a lot of it away for the fourfold thing? I don't know. I mean, if he gives a half of it away to the poor, and if he actually had taken advantage of people, and he's got a give back four times that he's making a commitment here and 
Jesus understood his heart and recognized. I think, again, it comes back to this thing of humility. He was willing to go back to people that he had taken advantage of and say, look, you know, I overtaxed you. You knew it. I knew it. You know, your taxes should have been 50. And I said that you owed 75. So here's $100 for that 25 that I took. And he had the power and the wealth. He wouldn't have had to do that, but he did. He went and did that. And based, I think, on that and his willingness to make things right, and Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. God saw. So humility seeks God, just like Zacchaeus did. Even if it means some extra work and some extra effort, I'm not suggesting that you have to go out and climb up in a tree to get closer to God. But it may take that kind of effort and work in your life, no matter what your wealth is or your status in life. Or maybe you're going to have to make restitution if you really seek God and his will. But humility will allow us to do that. Pride won't. If Zacchaeus would have been a proud man, he'd have said, I don't care if Jesus is coming through here or not. I've got wealth. I've got status. I've got what I need. I certainly don't need him. But he went and found a tree and climbed up in it because he knew Jesus was coming. And he knew, I believe, like this other guy over here that had went up into the temple to pray and smote his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So this morning... Maybe there's an area in your life, I know there are areas in my life where I need to be reminded that we need humility. And yes, humility sees others in the light of God's holiness, or sees ourselves in the light of God's holiness. Humility sees others as a child sees others. Humility sees the needs of others and is willing to share. Humility sees seeks God's help and tells him what we need. And humility seeks God no matter what the circumstances may be. Let's kneel for prayer this morning. And Jerry, would you lead us as we kneel?